Our reading this morning is in Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? For if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Jesus Christ who died... More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Valentine's Day is a reminder that we all long for an authentic love, a kind of love that will last. Love is key in the Bible. God is love. And love has been the driving force in the entire universe since before time began. Before God even created us, the Father loved the Son, and the Son loved the Father, and the Spirit loved the Father and the Son. And within the Trinity, they had an incredible love bond between them. And I believe the Scripture teaches that God created us Because he was so excited about the love he shared within the Godhead that he wanted us to be able to participate in that love. So he made us. Now we know we've fallen, we've walked away from it, but still in the heart of every human being 
is this driving force to find a love that lasts. Unfortunately, we tend to look in the wrong places, and so history is filled with all kinds of stories of romance and seeking to find love and a, a love that's lost. In the scriptures, there's great stories. Think of the story of Jacob who loved Rachel so much that he was willing to work for 14 years, and he said it seemed like a few days, to be able to have her for his wife. And then she died as a young mother in childbirth. Think of David, who so fell in love with King Saul's daughter, Michael, that he was willing to do anything to have her for his wife. And so Saul said, go get a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. So David brought back 200 to prove his love. Now, I wouldn't suggest anybody here try to prove your love that way. It wouldn't have the same effect today, I don't think. (laughs) But then Michael was given to another man and ended up despising David. Another love lost. And literature is filled with stories like Romeo and Juliet of a deep, abiding, romantic love that was eventually lost somehow. We all have experienced that, love that wasn't quite everything that we longed for because, you see, we were made for God's love. God is the only one who is love. And God gives us a love that lasts. And that's really a huge part of the message of the book of Romans. God offers us that kind of love. He wants us to be absolutely secure in His love knowing that nothing can separate us from His love. We're sinners. We don't deserve His love. But He sent His Son, Jesus, to die for us so that we might never, ever have to worry about being separated from His love again. If we have received Jesus as our Lord. He died so that we could be free to receive His love forever. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) That's a fabulous truth. Well, in our passage today, at the end of Romans chapter 8, which Terry just read, it's the culmination of chapters 1 through 8. It's the center of the whole book of Romans. It's a valentine to us to assure us that in His love, we have a love that will last forever. And my prayer is that you'll walk out of here today with a deeper sense and a deeper assurance of God's forever love for you than ever before. So we want to look at this passage, Romans 8, verse 26 through 39. Let me set the context for you because it's very important we understand this context. Last week we looked at the end of the section before, the passage before, about how a huge part of our experience here on earth is groaning. We suffer. We struggle. Life is hard. There's pain. There's suffering. For at least the people in my circle of life, this last week was a really hard week. The Gustafsons, the Rasmussens have lost loved ones. There's great pain in that. Some people discovered cancer. Others underwent 
difficult medical procedures. In our family, we had sickness from flu to mono to migraines. It was a hard week that way. I know of people that I talked to that had difficult marital struggles. I visit a young woman, young mother in the hospital whose twin infant boys are weigh just a little over two pounds. Their lives hang in the balance. And she is all alone, knows no one else here, was life-flighted here. And the father's in jail. Another family here at Cole, the Ayers family, Danny and Diana, their little girl Dana, has struggled for nearly two years with a terrible disease and it's been up and down and it's really been a down week. And they may be headed to UCLA Medical Center to try to deal with her life as it hangs in the balance as well. Life is hard. There's groaning. It's a pain. It's difficult. And the pain of life can wear us down. And God can say, I love you, but the suffering of life can make us question that. Because we can begin to feel like, well, God, if you're really sovereign and you really love me, then wouldn't you make things better now? And so the difficulties of life, the sufferings of life, can make us question whether God really loves us. We can begin to feel like, God, are you even there? Are you real? Do you really love me? Have you given up on me? Is this suffering somehow a judgment on me because I've blown it one too many times? That's a common response for many of us deep in our hearts. So suffering makes us question God's love. But that's why Paul wrote this passage in the context of the groaning and struggling and suffering that we all face. He wants us to be absolutely assured that even in the suffering, God loves us. So he gives us three great encouragements, nails, so to speak, (laughs) that we can hang our faith on to remember that even in suffering, God loves us and that nothing can separate us from his love. So let me read verse 26. In the same way, this passage begins, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. I think one of the things we can struggle with in suffering is feel like, Lord, can't my own weakness separate me from your love? My own lack of faith my own brokenness, my own inability to even know how to pray. Lord, I I have a hard time trusting you. I'm fearful. I don't seem to have enough faith to make it. I'm barely hanging on to you. I'm spiritually immature. I'm weak. And won't that weakness separate me from your love? Paul's response is no. (laughs) Even our weakness, even our immaturity, even our inability to exercise faith cannot separate us 
from his love. Notice what he says. He says, the spirit in our weakness intercedes for us, prays to the father for us with groanings too deep for words. What's he describing here? He's saying that there's such a connection with the Holy Spirit who indwells every believer. Every believer, when you receive Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit deep in your soul. That that Spirit connects with the Father in a way that is so deep and so profound. You can't feel it. You can't hear it. And in fact, it's so profound, there are no words for the prayers that are going back and forth between the Spirit and the Father. Sometimes this verse is misunderstood. It's used sometimes to say, oh, well, this is a private prayer language and, uh, you know, that kind of um, private tongues language. And um, this passage can't be used to support that because actually it's saying the Spirit prays in unutterable words, words that can't even be spoken. There is no sound. There are no words. That's how deep the connection is between the Spirit and the Father. The Spirit communicates with God on a wordless level. There's no sound, but it's a perfect connection. And so even when we can't exercise faith and we don't know what to pray, we're in suffering and we're going... I'm not even sure what to pray. I don't know whether to pray for God to deliver me out of this because I sure don't want to be in it. Or if I should pray that God would just take it away or whether God should strengthen me in the midst of it. I don't know how to pray for other people. I don't even know how to pray because I'm hurting so bad. It's at those times that we can remember by faith, oh, the Spirit's praying. (laughs) I I can't pray, but the Spirit does. The Spirit's connected to the Father, and He will make sure that even in my weakness, I'll never be disconnected from the Father because the Spirit's in me. He indwells me. So are you feeling weak, immature, broken? We all do at times. Is your faith gone, it seems? Well, that cannot separate you from God's love because, get this, it doesn't depend on your strength or weakness. It depends on the Spirit who keeps you connected constantly with the Father. So weakness can't separate us from God's love and neither can the trials we face, the suffering we face, because in the midst of our suffering, the Father is at work. The Father is at work. When you get hit with trials, when you get hit with suffering, they can overwhelm us, can't they? You can feel literally like you're drowning. And I don't know if you've been in a position where you felt like you were drowning. I have. I thought I was going to die. It's an awful feeling. But trials can make us feel that way. David in the Psalms has a number of places he describes it. I, I was in the miry clay and I couldn't get out. Your waves washed over me, David says, and I was spinning and I couldn't even find solid ground. I thought I was going to die. Even Paul writes, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I thought I was dead. I thought I was a dead man. I thought I was lost from the trials I was facing. See, sometimes trials will be more than we can handle and can make us feel like God has let me go. He has abandoned me. I'm lost. 
and being destroyed and God isn't doing anything about it. You can feel that way. But notice this incredible verse that Paul gives us. Verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. A verse that many of us have memorized. It's a marvelous verse that in all things, it doesn't matter what it is, whatever we face, God is working it for our good. Now let me just say a couple of ways that this verse does sometimes tend to be misused. We sometimes quote this verse and we define the good as life going better. God taking away the trial. My life going smoothly. Uh, this not being a struggle anymore. Because as humans, we naturally think that's what's good. So we quote this verse, God works everything for good. Well, that means he's going to take away my cancer. He's going to heal me. He's going to take away this trial. He's going to fix my child who's struggling. He's going to, right? Because it's a promise. Wrong. That's a complete misunderstanding of this verse and what the good is. Another way this verse is misused is just to throw it out in a kind of way like, oh yeah, I know you are struggling, I know you lost a child, but you know what? God works everything for good, so buck up. Uh, That's just a complete misuse of this verse. That's as, as if you're saying... Well, you shouldn't hurt, you shouldn't struggle with this trial you're going through. And that's not true at all. God created us as human beings where we feel the pain of suffering. It hurts. Just as much as when you touch a hot stove and you burn your finger, and it hurts when you do something like that physically, so emotionally when you go through suffering and pain, it hurts. God created us that way, purposefully. Uh, We don't like it, I understand that, but he created us that way because that's part of his plan to lead us to deeper faith in him. So we don't want to misuse this verse. So what is this verse about then? What is the good that God works everything for towards us? Well, the truth is God has a big plan, a big plan. (laughs) F.F. Bruce puts it this way, he says... God's plan is the creating of a new race that shares and displays God's glory. God's plan, the good, is the creating of a new race that shares and displays God's glory. You want to know what the good is? It's defined in the next two verses. You have to always take verse 28 with verse 29 and verse 30. They are a unit. Notice verse 29. For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image or the likeness of his son. That's what the good is. God promises that in whatever we face, whatever happens in our lives, even our own failures and bad choices, because he says all things, Even the abuse of others towards us, 
painful as that is, even the oppression and struggles, even natural disasters, even loss, all those things we face in life, God promises to use them to help us become more like Jesus. To create in us the displaying of His glory. His purpose cannot be thwarted. I've had a number of close friends who have gone through horrendous suffering who have said to me, it's hard, but I would not trade these trials for anything because of what God has done in my life through them. That's amazing to me. But it's proof of this verse that God does amazing things no matter what it is through our trials. God, now get this very clearly, God does not spare us from suffering, but He redeems our suffering for a greater purpose. God does not spare us from suffering, but He redeems our suffering for a greater purpose. Remember Joseph who went through horrible rejection from his family. They wanted to kill him, his brothers. They hated his guts. They sold him as a slave. But God worked everything in an amazing way. And here's what he said near the end of his life, Genesis 50, verse 20. You, speaking to his brothers, intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives. That's the miracle of what God does. And now, in verse 29 and 30, Paul draws back the curtain and says, helps us see the big picture. It's like standing on Mount Bora and you can see everything around you. Now he wants us to see the big picture of God's plan to encourage our faith in the midst of suffering and trials, where he says this, I read verse 29, Those he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of a son. Verse 30, and those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. He wants us to see the big picture of what God's doing. So there's five steps to God's plan for you and for me. And he lays this out for us to encourage our faith in the midst of suffering. Because when we're in it, the suffering can seem like everything to us. It seems so big. And we need a bigger picture. We need to stand on Mount Bora. So he says there's five steps. The first step is he says God foreknew us. Long before we were created, God had us in mind. He knew us. He had a plan for us. That was step one. Step two He predestined us. Now, this is not so much talking about salvation, some going to heaven, some not. It's talking about how he looks at believers. And he's saying, way back again, long before we were created, he predestined us to become like Jesus. He determined our destiny even then, before you and I were born, that we would become like him. Step three is we were called. Now, this is where we're actually begin to be in the picture. <laughs> it's where 
you sense God beginning to draw you to him in your life, to woo you to himself, to help you see how much he loved you so that you turn to him. Fourth step is he justified us. That's where we actually turn to him in repentance and he declares us righteous. He declares us his own and that nothing can separate us from his love. We are now his friends, not his enemies. That's when you come to faith. That's when you're born again, as another way scripture puts it. That's when you become his child. Step five is it says that we were glorified. Past tense. How many of you feel glorified? (laughs) Not very many of us. I don't most of the time. But he puts it in past tense because it's as good as done. You see, he's already working that into our lives. He's already making us more like Christ from the inside out. And so as we're becoming more glorious on the inside, it begins to show a bit. But when we stand before him face to face, that's when it will be completed. But he says it's past tense because it's as good as done. So Paul wants us to look at the big picture and say, look, this whole process began long before you were even around. It continues all the way through. Four and a half steps have already been done. (laughs) God's going to finish it. So he wants us to have this bigger view so we will remember My trials can't stop the process because it's something God began long before I was born. Isn't that encouraging? Yeah, it doesn't depend on me. I can't mess this up. It's as good as done. So our trials can't stop the process. They're just a tiny part of the big picture. In fact, Paul says that over in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says this, verse 16 and 17. Therefore, we do not lose heart Though outwardly we are wasting away. Anybody identify with that? Yeah. Outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles or afflictions are achieving for us an eternal weight of glory that outweighs them all. Paul says, I know your trials seem big. But compared to the big picture of what God's doing and what God is creating in your soul, the glory he's creating, the weight of that glory, your trials are really light. I know they don't feel light. But remember the big picture. Your trials, no matter how bad, cannot separate you from God's love because God is at work in them. And then third, the third nail that we need to hang our faith on in this passage is verse 31 through 34 is that even in our sin our failures they can't separate us from God's love because Jesus is defending us I think we feel that way sometimes that okay what about my sin though I blow it I I turn away from you God I don't I don't I'm not just weak but I'm a sinner I turn my back on you I know the right thing to do and I do the wrong thing too often. Can't I blow it one too many times? Isn't there a place where God will give up on me? Most of us have felt that way. I have. And in this world where people give up on us, you think about it, people have given up on us. Our parents have given up on us. 
Our friends have given up on us. God, won't you give up on me too when I blow it one too many times? And then along with all that, Satan is the accuser of our soul and he's constantly saying, you sinner, God can't love you. You're a wretch. You're awful. God can't stand you. And Satan throws these at us and our flesh wants to reinforce that. And so there's this struggle we have. Won't our sin separate us from God? And we think I've sinned one too many times. God will surely abandon me now. And so Paul writes this, verse 31 through 34, as he pictures a huge courtroom scene in heaven. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Paul declares through a series of these questions that this picture of here we are being accused before God, he pictures the throne of heaven and he says every time there's an accusation, look at what this person did, look at their sin. They don't deserve to be in your presence, God. Jesus stands up as our attorney, as our advocate, as our defender, and he defends us. Even in our sin and failure, he defends us. And he says, um, objection, I died for that. My sin covered that. I already took the punishment for that. Yeah, but what about all these other things they're going to do in the future? Already covered. Past, present, future. I already paid the punishment. And so Jesus defends us before the throne of God at every accusation. You know what God says? Case dismissed. (laughs) You have no case. This person's part of my family and they can never, ever, ever be separated from my love. What a wonderful picture. And it's all because of the blood of Christ who paid the penalty for us. So any accusation before God... Jesus defends us. We did used to be God's enemies, but when we turned to him, we came under his protection. So there's nothing that can separate us from his love. Get this, because this is important to get. There is no sin you can do that will separate you from God's love. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're his And there is no sin you can do that can separate you from his love. He wants you to relax in his love, to not live in fear, but to know he loves you. So let me ask you a question. So if he really loves me that much and there's nothing, no sin I can do to separate me from his love, no failure, should we just live any way we want to? Think about that for a minute. If his love is that great, should we live any way we want to? He'll forgive us anyway, right? 
You know what the answer is? Yes. <laughs> yes. Because if you've really tasted of his love, what you want is to please him. If you felt his love, live any way you want to because the way you'll want to live is in a way that pleases him. That's how great his love is. That he frees us to be able to make choices so that we can be free to choose to please him. Because we finally have found a love that lasts. What every one of us is longing for. So isn't this great news? Nothing can separate us from his love because even in our weakness, even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of our sin, everything that God is, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all that he is is engaged to make sure that we can never be separated from his love. The Spirit prays, the Father works, Jesus defends, and so we need never fear that we'll be separated from his love. And so Paul ends this passage with a huge valentine to every one of us. (laughs) Just a declaration of how much he loves us and that nothing can separate us from his love. Verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written? For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. You see, Paul doesn't pull any punches. And he says, look, people can do bad things to us. We can be considered as sheep to be slaughtered. He quotes a psalm here that, that talks about incredible pain and suffering that others can inflict on us. But he says, who can separate us from God's love? They may do bad things to us, but even that cannot separate us from his love. Nothing anyone can do to us can separate us from his love. They can cause us to suffer, but they can't separate us from his love. The last two verses, verse 38 and 39, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing in all creation can separate us from his love, he says. Neither death nor life. He's talking about our experiences in life or death. Nothing we experience can separate us from God's love. Then he says, neither angels nor demons. Nothing in the heavenly realms can separate us from God's love. Neither the present or the future, nothing in the time continuum can ever separate us from God's love. Nothing, nothing, the present or the future. No power anywhere on earth or in heaven can separate us from his love. Neither height nor depth, nothing in all of space. You can't go anywhere that would separate you from God's love. You can't run from his love. You can't be lost from his love. There's, there's nowhere that his love will not be with you. So Paul says, nothing in all creation can separate us from his love. I skipped a verse, verse 37, because I think this is kind of a central point of this last section where he says this, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
Do you feel like a conqueror? Uh, I don't most of the time. But he declares us to be conquerors. What does he mean? He means we win. (laughs) We win. In the end, we win. You feel like you're losing, but in the end, we are more than conquerors. We win. What do we win? We win glory. The glory of being made like Christ, where we will shine like the stars. We win reigning with Him in heaven forever. We win dwelling in heaven. We win seeing Jesus face to face. And we win because He's working, praying, defending even now when you feel like you're losing. You see, if... If my security in God's love depended on my strength, my perseverance in trials, or my faithfulness to do what's right, I'm sunk. But praise God, it doesn't. It depends on God what He has done, what He is doing right now for me. Are you weak? The Spirit prays for you. Are you suffering? The Father works everything for your good, creating glory in your soul. Are you sinning and failing? Jesus defends you in the heavenly court. Folks, this is the greatest love story ever told. You want a love that lasts? Of course you do. Of course you do. And you already have it if you're a believer in Jesus. No matter how much you're struggling, if you put your faith in Christ, you have a love that lasts. And if you're here today and you've never actually done that, turn to Jesus and say, I'm yours. Take my life. Come into my life. Thank you for dying for me. If you've never done that, Why not today? There's only one place you're going to find a love that lasts. It's in giving your life to the living God who loves you and wants you to know his everlasting love. Come to Jesus. Just say I'm yours. (laughs) He died for you to cover your sin. Just ask him to come into your life and change you. You don't have to get your act together first. You don't have to become religious for God to accept you. Oh, please don't become religious. Oh, don't. Oh, that's not what God wants. <laughs> no, God just wants you to come to Him. And you know what? If you need to change, which you do, but if you need to change, He'll change you after you come to Him. Don't try to clean up your act first. You, you don't have the tools. You don't have a big enough vacuum, okay? Just come to Him and accept the love that He offers you in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank You that You love us that much and that You want us to be secure in Your love. Give give us the faith 
to trust in your love, to be free, free to be what you've created us to be. Thank you that you provided the very love you created us for. Help us not to look elsewhere, but to turn to you for a love that lasts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.